Please open your Bibles with me to the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 5. 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, I'd like to speak to you today about being ready for eternity. Ready for eternity. As you're turning there, I have a couple of other passages I'll read to you. You know, it says in 1 Peter, chapter 3, and verse 15, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear. Are you ready to give a defense? Are you ready to give the reason for the hope that is in you? For anyone that might ask you. Let me ask you this, are you modeling hope in such a way that someone would ask you? You know, as the Christian, we're, we're supposed to be different in our culture. And there's supposed to be something of an eternity in our hearts that reflects in the way we live and conduct our lives. And that hope is visible to those that don't have hope. And so they come and they ask, what is it that is so different with you? What is this hope that you seem to have going on in your life? And you're ready to share But first of all, of course, we have to be modeling that hope. Now, when the Bible talks about hope in the New Testament, it's not the kind of hope that we often associate uh, in the world. A lot of times when we say hope, what we really mean is kind of wishful thinking. Well, I hope I get a better job. I hope I can get a new car. I, I hope things and circumstance of my life will improve. And, of course, there's nothing wrong with desiring things to progress and for us to, to do well. But that's not the kind of hope that the Bible is talking about. We're talking about a certainty and a confidence and an assurance concerning eternal things because of our faith in Jesus Christ. That's why the the writer of Hebrews said that this hope is an anchor of the soul. This is not wishful thinking. This is not just hopeful thinking about circumstance. And it's rather an assurance, a confidence that God has got something planned for us even into eternity. A couple of other passages, and then we'll get started in our text. It says in Titus 2 and verse 11, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is what grace comes to teach into our lives, to live godly. And it causes us to be looking for this blessed hope at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Peter would say this in 1 Peter 1.13. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That phrase, gird up the loins of your mind. I like the ESV. It says, preparing your minds for action. Your heart, your mind is renewed. You are looking for that grace, the hope of God in Christ. 
And now as we look at chapter 5 here, we want to remember something of our context that Paul is writing. In chapter 4, he's been talking about the reality that he does not lose heart, even though outwardly he's receiving pressure, even though he's experiencing persecution and sharing in really the, the, the death of Christ. He does not lose heart because he has a confidence in the resurrection of Christ. You're there in chapter 5, but just look up in chapter 4, kind of picking up the thought. Look in verse 16. It says, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Preparing for eternity, getting ready in your heart, living your life in such a way that eternity is in view. We'll now start in chapter 5. I'd like to break it up into three sections. The Apostle Paul will speak of an eternal home. He will also speak of our walk, our walk of faith, and then finally we'll take a look at his aim or his ambition in life. First of all, look with me, verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent grown, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Paul references this current body that we live in as a tent, A temporary dwelling. Paul was a tent maker. He knew something about tents. I don't know if any of you have spent any time in a tent. I've done a little bit of camping. And I always look forward to that camping trip coming to an end. Because living in a tent is not as comfortable as living, of course, in the home. And Paul is saying this body that we now live in is really just a temporary dwelling. Now he does not despise this body. In fact, the scripture says that we have been fearfully and wonderfully made. I mean, the human body is an incredible being. It's just something really uh, amazing about the human body that God has made and fashioned. You know, just some statistics. I was just kind of looking up some interesting facts about the human body. You know, most recently, uh, there's been discoveries in this whole genetic understanding, the DNA sequence. The information to replicate our entire body is stored in the DNA found in each and every one of the billions of cells that make up your body. Your your body is made up of billions of cells, and in each one, all the information needed to completely replicate your body is contained in the DNA. And the human genome... It would take, the the amount of information that is in that human genome, it would take a a very fast typist typing eight hours a day for over 50 years of typing to communicate the information that is in the human genome. It's amazing what God has put even into each and every cell of our body. 
Some other interesting facts. Uh, Did you know that your heart pumps 2,000 gallons per day? Now, next time you're at the gas pump and you're filling up, just think of your poor heart. You're waiting there for 10, 15 gallons. Just think your heart, 2,000 gallons every day. Something else that you should be warned about, that your feet, your feet have 500,000 sweat glands. That's why they smell the way they do when you take your shoes off. 500,000 sweat glands in the pair of feet. I mean, there's just so much amazing information about the human body. And yet Paul said this is just a temporary dwelling. If God has put so much into just a temporary place, think of what he has in store for the eternal place. A place not made with hands. A body built for eternity. And Paul said, you know, when this tent is destroyed, and that word for destroyed actually literally means to loosen down. It's as though there will come a day when your tent will be taken down. And these bodies, they will be taken down, just like a tent. But when that happens, we will have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Paul is, of course, speaking of the glorified bodies received through resurrection. Now, we don't know the full picture of what these glorified, resurrected bodies will look like. Uh, In fact, it says in 1 John 3, Beloved, we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. It's not yet been completely revealed. We get a little glimpse of a glorified, resurrected body in that we see Jesus after his resurrection. But we don't know the fullness of it, the the capacities of this new body, the limits of the new body. We don't know, but we know that we will be like him. You know, the ladies uh, retreat. They're pulling this passage as a part of their theme. I'm going to quote it to you out of Philippians 3 and verse 20. It says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, listen, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. He has the power to do this. These glorified bodies built for eternity. No sickness, no pain, no weakness, no needing needing naps in the afternoon. That's kind of my thing right now. I feel like I'm slowing down every afternoon, needing a nap. My body is getting a little older or my tent is getting a little more worn. But not in the new glorified body. Interesting things that we see concerning Jesus when he was resurrected. There were times when his disciples seemingly didn't recognize him. But then there were times when they clearly did recognize him. So there was definitely some connection to his earthly body. And yet some distinct differences about his heavenly body. He was able to be touched. Remember he said, Thomas, come. Look at the holes where the nails went through my hand. 
Come put your hand in my side where the spear went into my side. This was, a t- this was the body of Christ and you could touch it. He was able to eat, a meal with, you know, eat meals with his disciples. So clearly he had a real physical body and yet it had greater ability. It had something very eternal about it. He was able to suddenly appear in the midst of a room that where all the doors were closed and suddenly disappear. We don't know all the limits of this new body, but we know that it's something good and something beautiful. Jesus said this, you remember, to his disciples before the cross. He said, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. From tent to mansion. God has something glorious in mind. We, now we live in these tents. But Jesus has prepared a mansion. That's the new glorified body. A place for us to dwell with him in eternity. No wonder he says that today we, we groan. He's saying there's a longing in the heart of the Christian for that eternity that we know is coming. Now again, not despising this body or despising this life, but yet at the same time really looking forward to the upgrade. Really longing for those things that God has planned. We, we, it's not that we want to be unclothed, but we want to be further clothed. We want mortality to be swallowed up by life. You know, Paul said this in Romans chapter 8, verse 22. He says, For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Even the creation itself has a longing for the better things that God has in mind. Scriptures talk about a a whole kind of new working of the earth, the millennial kingdom, where there is a, a change even in the natural order of the earth. The Bible talks about a new heaven and a new earth. Even creation is going to be transformed in the future, and there is a longing for that, a groaning, if you will. He goes on in Romans and he says, We ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Now, that's not to say that we are living some miserable life here, and have to wait for good life in eternity. Jesus didn't teach that. He said, I've come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. You see, I believe that the Lord wants us to live a full and meaningful life now. But it also means that we have an eternal hope to look forward to. For the Christian, we live lives of purpose and destiny today. But our ultimate desire and hope is a resurrected life in glorified bodies with the Lord. I don't know about you, but one of the things that I hate is car trouble. And, you know, sometimes when cars begin to give you so much trouble, it's time to trade it in. And I start thinking, man, I can't wait to trade this old car in. Sometimes I feel that way about my body. Now, when I was younger, I didn't think that. But now I'm starting to feel like I'm starting to get car trouble. I'm ready for an upgrade. How about you? How about the phone technology, right? You have that contract. Oh, I can't wait for the upgrade. This thing is just, you know, worn out. 
This is what the, the scriptures speak of. That there is something coming, church. Something coming and promised by God for the believer. That's why Paul said, I'm hard pressed between the two. Whether to stay and minister or whether to go and be the Lord, with the Lord. Because he said, I have a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Something good that God has, a whole new home, a whole new body uh, for us to dwell in. What God has in store. Take a look now in verse 8. Let's continue through our text. And with that in mind, it should affect the way that we walk, the way we conduct ourselves, live our Christian lives. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, or this body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Paul said, listen, this is part of what God is preparing us for. This is why he saved us. This is why Christ died on the cross for us, that we might have forgiveness of sin, that we might have relationship with him. Because he is getting us ready for eternity. And even those things that we go through in this life, as much as they are at sometimes difficult and challenging, do you know that God is using even those things to prepare you for eternity? God is, is, is revealing something deeper of his character, of his love, something more of his relationship with you, and that is readying you for what he has for eternity. And he's given us something as a guarantee, a down payment, a foretaste, an engagement ring, if you will. And it's the Holy Spirit in our lives. I want you to think about your Christian life, those of you that know the Lord, and think about your life and how the Holy Spirit has brought great blessing to you. Even now, you know that the Holy Spirit is with you and He speaks to your heart and He brings comfort. He brings strength. He brings joy. He brings help. Look back across your life and you can remember where the Holy Spirit met you in those seasons of life when you just needed God and He was there. He spoke to you. He revealed something. Something of the Spirit of God touched you in such a profound and real way that you know that you know that you know that you're a child of God and that He is with you. That experience of His Spirit, what, what Paul says is, that's the guarantee that the things to come are coming. You can count on them in the same way that you've experienced the Holy Spirit's ministry in your life today. That is just a foretaste of good things to come. The Holy Spirit is the evidence that these promises are true And that we can count on them. That's why he said we have this confidence of faith. Even though today, while we are in this body, we are absent from the Lord. Meaning that we are not seeing the full presence and glory of God. We've not seen that yet. Because we are in these bodies. So even though we are absent from the Lord in that full glorious presence... We still have a confidence because we're walking not by sight, but by faith. This is the challenge, isn't it? Walking by faith. We are so prone to walk by sight. We're so prone to walk by circumstance. We're so prone to walk by how I feel today. 
And you know, that's a tough way to walk, isn't it? That's a tough way to live your life. The ups and downs of circumstance, the ups and downs of how things appear. That's a roller coaster ride. You're going to be in for this just terrible high and low experience as a Christian. You're never going to feel anchored. You're never going to feel secure. You're going to be constantly living by sight. But God calls us not to live by sight. That word walk, it means living your life, walking day to day, walking out your Christian faith. You're to do do it by faith, built on promises from God, built on the assurance that what He said He will do, that what He's begun He will complete, that what He has for you is coming as sure as today has come. This changes everything. This produces a strength The Bible says in Hebrews 11 that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You know, you can't see the things that God has, but you believe them by faith. And it also says that without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Have you come to faith in Christ diligently, earnestly, sincerely? Then you must trust and believe that He has reward for you in Christ. There is great blessing. There is great hope. And how do we walk by faith? I I think it's one day at a time. We pray. Why pray if you don't really believe God is listening? It becomes just this ritual. No, I pray in earnest because I believe He hears me and I believe he's, He's interested in my life. I read the Word of God because I know that I need that truth in my heart. I need my mind to be renewed, to be strengthened. I need the mind of God. And so I study the Word. I come to fellowship. You're here today because you believe there's something of value here for you spiritually. That's faith. That's walking and living your life out by faith, even in these simple daily tasks and spiritual you know, things that we do. It's walking and living out your faith. That's why Paul said, we are confident. And he says, we're confident and well-pleased because ultimately we know that we're going to be absent from this body and we're going to be present with the Lord. Isn't that what Jesus said? That where I am, you may be also. The moment a believer dies and departs this body... They are immediately in the presence of the Lord. That's what the Bible teaches. Paul says to be absent this body is to be present with the Lord. Now, some questions that are often asked about this whole idea of what happens after we die. And what about these resurrected bodies? When when do we receive those? Do we receive these resurrected bodies immediately? Or do we just go to be with the Lord spiritually? And then the glorified bodies come later when Christ returns for the church. What's the timing of these things? How is all of this worked out? Well, we have a few ideas, a few things the scriptures give us. But let me say that we don't know all these answers. But I will tell you that there is a passage, and we've looked at it before, in 1 Thessalonians. Don't turn, let me read it to you. It says this in 1 Thessalonians verse four, chapter 4, verse 16. Sorry. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. 
Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Now this is Paul talking to the church in Thessalonica about Jesus' return for the church. This catching up of the church. The event we often refer to as the rapture. The catching away of his own. And it seems to read that it's at that time, the dead in Christ, those who have died and gone on to be with the Lord, they will not receive their resurrected glorified bodies until at that time, because it says we're going to be caught up together. That they're going to rise first, and then those that are alive are going to be changed. So that begs the question, well, what about the people that are dead in Christ now, before that event takes place? They're up there in heaven, they don't have their glorified, resurrected bodies. What's it like? Well... A couple of thoughts. We do know that um, there is evidence of uh, being in a spiritual body in the presence of God. You'll remember Jesus speaking about the rich man and Lazarus in the Old Testament being in Abraham's bosom. They were conscious. They were aware of where they were and what was going on. One was in a place of torment awaiting judgment. One was in a place of comfort awaiting Christ's work at the cross. And we also know that um, in the book of Revelation, you don't need to turn, but in chapter 6, it talks about the souls of the martyrs that were under the altar crying out to the Lord, How long until you avenge our blood? Now, this was before... This, this seems to be those that are martyred during the time of tribulation and they do not yet have glorified bodies because it says the souls of those. Now, and, and, and yet they have bodies because they are given white robes and they are, they're encouraged to rest just a little while longer. So, what happens when we die? We know this. We go immediately to be with the Lord. And it may be that we go in a spiritual state and yet await the glorified, resurrected body. Now, we're not just some, you know, floating spirit. We have bodies. They get robes. They're able to be in God's presence. There's a conscious awareness of being in God's presence, but not yet united, reunited with glorified bodies. Another view, and uh, some have uh, shared this. I've heard this even uh, Pastor Chuck Smith and uh, Pastor Guzik has, has thought this. I think Chuck Missler has posed this idea. The thought is this, because of the nature of timeless eternity, you know, once we leave these bodies, we are no longer in time as we know it. We go into eternity where time is completely different. A day is like a thousand years, a thousand years like a day. Time doesn't function the same way in heaven as it does on earth. And it may be that they, that, that, and the moment that be, uh, the believing dead pass away, that they receive their resurrection bodies already because they live in the eternal now. Now that's kind of hard for my mind to understand. They receive their glorified bodies immediately and yet somehow it's at the rapture together because they exist outside of time. It's a possibility. We don't have the complete answer on this, but we do know this, that to be absent from the body is to be immediately in the presence of the Lord. Now that alone, that truth alone dispels a couple of false teachings that we often hear. 
There's some that believe in what they call soul sleep. That the believing dead are not conscious and not really with the Lord, but they're held in some kind of suspended animation awaiting resurrection. Well, that's not consistent with what the Scripture says. To be absent is to be present. Paul said, I long to be with Christ, which is far better. Jesus told the thief on the cross, Today you will be with me in paradise. Moses and Elijah at the transfiguration, they were certainly not asleep in some suspended animation. No, that doesn't seem to be consistent at all with what the Scripture teaches. Another doctrine that is, I believe, misguided is the doctrine of purgatory. The thought that the believing dead must be cleaned through their own suffering before coming into the presence of the Lord. You go to some place where you kind of have to suffer and endure a little more to help clean you up before you're ready for the, for the real presence of the Lord. You're a Christian, you're saved, but you're kind of iffy, so we need to put you through a little bit of a kind of a, you know, workout. You, gotta, you didn't quite get it, so you're going to get it. <laughs> I just have to say that's not in the Bible. There's no, no direct teaching of that, and it implies, the very notion of that implies that somehow Christ's death was not enough to cleanse and purify you and prepare you for the presence of God. Jesus said, it is finished. We believe it was finished. It is finished. I believe that I can, there's nothing that I can do or earn or suffer or in any way contribute or add to what has already been given to me in Christ. The righteousness of Christ is mine. How can I possibly improve on that? And it's been given to me through what He has accomplished, not anything that I will have to add or accomplish on my own. Let's move on here and we'll conclude our our verses for today, just picking it up, verses 9 through 11. In light of all this, Paul talks now about his aim, his ambition, the way he's living his life. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God, and I trust, and I also trust are well known in your consciences. Knowing these things, having these eternal truths in our heart, Paul said, as a result of that, we're, we, we make this our aim. That whether we are gone, go to be with the Lord or whether we are here in the body, we are trying to live in a way that would be well-pleasing to Him. Can I simply say this to you, church? I really believe this, that your Christian life will be much more rewarding if you will stop focusing on how God can please you and focus more on how you can please Him. That's the blessing. That's the secret, really, of living a full and abundant life. It's when you surrender it to Him and begin to live in a way that would please Him. 
You cannot outgive the Lord. As you give your heart to pleasing Him, He is going to bless you. He is going to really work something beautiful in your life as you turn your heart completely to Him. Rather than thinking about what we can get away with, we should be thinking about what will be pleasing to my Lord. Not out of a religious duty, but out of a love and relationship. You know, this life holds some unique opportunity for us. There are some things that you can do in this life that you will not be able to do in eternity. For example, you will not be able to walk by faith in eternity. Because faith is the evidence of things not seen. When you're there, you're going to see it. You won't need faith to walk in eternity with Jesus when you see all that He's prepared. No, the requirement for faith is now. Because I've got, I, I can't see it. And I've got to walk believing it. And the Bible says that that faith pleases God. We have a certain opportunity to please the Lord through faith that we will not have when this life is over. That faith, you won't need faith in eternity. But today, you do. So you have this unique opportunity to trust Him. To walk by faith. Something else you won't need to do in eternity, you won't need to preach the gospel in heaven. They'll all be saved. They'll all be there as a result of the gospel. Hey, brother, I want to share something about Jesus with you. What are you talking about? We're here. He's here. We don't need you to share. We already know that's how we got here. No, this opportunity to share your faith and to witness the glory of Christ is unique in this life. You have this opportunity to really live for Him now in ways that are unique to this life. And Paul said, listen, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. How you live your life is going to be evaluated before the Lord. Now, it says we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That word for judgment seat is the Greek word bima. And you've probably heard reference at some time, if you've been around Bible study at all, the Bema Seat of Christ. And that's the reference here. This is not to be confused with the great white throne judgment of Revelation 20. That's the judgment of all unbelievers, those who rejected Christ. That's a judgment for eternal destiny. This judgment seat is not that. This is a judgment of believers. Their eternal destiny is already secure. They're all going to heaven. This isn't about where you're going to spend eternity. This is about reward for how you spent your life here. Paul had talked about this, you remember, in 1 Corinthians. He talked about standing before this judgment seat. And he talked about how we build on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Some building with gold, silver, precious stones. Their works will be preserved. There will be reward for the way they lived their Christian faith. Others are building with wood, hay, and stubble. And when the works are tested by fire, they will have no reward. It is possible to have a saved soul and yet a wasted life. I encourage you today, as Jesus did, store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Church, how we live our Christian lives matters. How you live for the Lord today is important. 
not necessarily for your eternal destiny, but certainly for that day when you will stand before him. I don't know about you, but I find that whole idea a little intimidating. Because not only are the works going to be evaluated, evaluated, but even the motives. You know, sometimes we do good works, and they're good. The works are good, but we're doing them for selfish reasons. I hope somebody notices. I hope there's a camera around while I do this good deed. Jesus said, you know, if that's your motive, then whatever you receive from men that you're trying to impress, that's your reward. Don't count on any in heaven. God's looking for those things that are done out of sincerity unto, unto Jesus, not for any selfish reasons. Living for the Lord matters. Living a life with a clean conscience before God. Fearing God and not man. Living with eternity in view. Paul says, we know, knowing the terror of the Lord. Now that word terror, it's the Greek word phobos, it's where we get our word phobia. Really what he's saying is, look, these eternal things, they, they create a certain reverence and fear in my heart before God. They affect the way that I'm living my life. They, these things are weighty on my conscience, on my, on my conduct. They're not just trivial matters. And he says, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. This is what drove the apostle. This is what should be driving Christians, is knowing these things. Knowing this truth affects the way that I live. And so we persuade men. What do we do? Well, with believers, we encourage one another to live for the Lord because we know it matters. That's why the Bible says, stir one another up to good works. Not so you can earn salvation, but because you are saved. Invest in the kingdom that you're going to be in soon. Let's live for God. We persuade one another to live for the Lord because it matters. But not only do we persuade believers, but listen, we've got to have a burden for unbelievers. Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, not in these verses, but in a few verses to come, which we'll get into in weeks to come. Paul said, we encourage men to be reconciled to God as ambassadors of Christ. These are heavy matters and they're worth considering in the way that we live our lives. Not just focused on our life, our trial, our, our issues. Where's the hope in that? Some, so many of us, myself included at times, I, I don't know that anybody sees hope in me. I think they see in me the same worry and, 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 and anxiety and up and down that they see in unbelievers. Peter said, be ready to give a reason for the hope that is in you. Well, no one's asking. <laughs> and no one's asking because I'm not really showing that hope. But Paul said, knowing these things, we persuade men. A healthy fear and reverence of accountability before the Lord. Listen, live for the Lord. Live for Him with all your heart. Not one, even a cup of cold water will go without reward. Everything you do tomorrow at work. Tonight with your spouse, raise, getting your kids up for school in the morning. What, do it unto the Lord. Every bit of it is important if it's done in faith to God. These things do not disconnect us from life. Oh, we're just all heavenly minded. I think it gives meaning and purpose to this life. And that's what people are looking for. 
People are lost. People don't know who they are and they don't know why they're here. We do. And it brings great purpose and, and fullness and meaning to our lives right now. And to know that it has eternal consequence even motivates us further. Encourage your brothers and sisters to live for God. Oh, and share with unbelievers the gospel of Jesus Christ because it matters. I'll close with this verse out of Jude, verses 22 and 23. It says, On some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Jude, the, the letter to Jude tells us that some need to be rescued from the fire. You and I are, are firemen for Jesus. And we need to live in a way that would persuade men to be reconciled to God. These matters are of weighty concern for the Christian. I would encourage all of us to embrace them. Let's pray today. Father, we do thank you. We thank you for the glorious hope. The hope of resurrected bodies, Lord. A whole new model. We're looking forward to that, Lord. A new and improved and greatly enhanced version of who we are today. But Lord, that knowledge, as comforting and as encouraging as it is, Lord, it also brings a certain sense of responsibility in the way that we live. We want to to live with that hope. We don't want to be hopeless. We want to be people of hope because we have great hope. And Lord, we want to also be persuasive to one another and to those that don't know you. So I pray, God, as you prepare us for eternity, we would also be persuasive in preparing others for eternity as well. And as your heads are bowed here today and we're closing in prayer, I do want to give an opportunity, if you're here today and you, you need to respond to the Lord, as I do at the end of every service, I, I give this opportunity, if you're here and you don't know the Lord Jesus in a personal way, but He's speaking to you to, to today, I would love to pray for you. It may be that you know right now you're not really ready for eternity. The Bible says that it is appointed to all men once to die. And then comes the judgment. And you may be here today and you know that you've never really come to faith in Christ. And you know you're not ready to stand before the Lord and give an account. Because you know that you're a sinner and that you need mercy. And that mercy can only be found in Jesus. I'd love to pray for you if you're here today and you, you know and you're ready to receive Christ into your heart to your, as your Savior, to receive forgiveness of your sins, to be ready for eternity. Or maybe you're here today and you need to rededicate, recommit your life to Him. If you were honest, you would say, I'm not living in this hope at all. I'm living just as someone who doesn't even have hope. I'm living my life as someone who doesn't even walk in the things that I profess. Maybe you need to rededicate, recommit your heart to Jesus today. I'd love to pray for you too. So as heads are bowed, if you're here today, 
You want to receive Jesus for the very first time, or you would like to rededicate, recommit your life to him. I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand where you're seated, and I'm going to pray for you. Anybody here today, I bless you. You as well. Several over here on my left. You, sir, as well. Amen. Any others, the Lord is speaking to you, and you need this prayer. You need Jesus. In the very back there, I see you, ma'am. Upstairs, God bless you. Any others, the Lord speaking to your heart. You need Jesus. You need to come back to Jesus. We're going to pray. Any others here today, the Lord speaking to you. Just before I pray, let me see your hand. And so, Lord, we do thank you for these hearts that have responded to your word today. And Lord, we would come to you, those of us that have raised our hands, and we would say, Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me of my sins and cleanse me. I know that I'm a sinner. I acknowledge it. I want to turn from those things, and I need your help. I need you to cleanse me and forgive me, and then I, I need that, that ministry of your Spirit. Come into my heart and the person of the Holy Spirit. That guarantee, that foretaste of eternity to come. Oh, that you would fill each heart today, Lord. That they would know you in such a personal and powerful way. That they would be confident today as they leave. I'm ready for eternity. And I'm going to live my life with that in view. And God, I ask it for them. And I ask for us all that we would live ready for eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.